0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe.
0: From the corner, Barry. Rick Barry has not missed a free throw against Washington. Now it is Barry. Back to Clifford Ray. Goes to Rick Barry. two. State getting that ball moving. Intended for Barry. Barry, look at that pass. Rick Barry, look at that shot, would you? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth. Barry wants to make a noise. There's a Barry. He's got his shot. Hey, everybody. Rick Barry here. Yes, right. Miced up. And yeah, that's right. The milkman himself, Cyrus Axis. He's joining me, uh, my partner in crime. And uh, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of stuff going on. Obviously, the NBA Finals are starting. I have my NBA final shirt on right here. <laughs> nice. I, I, you probably don't have one of these, right, Cyrus? I don't
1: uh, have one of those. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a Hall of Famer. NBA, NBA hat on. Not
0: about the Warriors. NBA all the way. There we go. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens tomorrow in game number two. Because game number one was really kind of... It was strange in a lot of ways to me, at least. I don't, I'm going to ask you to give some first. What was the thing about game one that popped out for you that was different than what you thought was going to happen?
1: Nothing. I, I think the Nuggets are going to, if anything, I felt like the game was closer than I thought. I'm, I'm counting on a Nuggets sweep or Nuggets in five. I, I love this Heat's team. Jimmy Butler is one of my favorite players. Uh, to watch but uh, to me these are two different classes of teams so this is right on par for course for me what about you sir well
0: to me i was surprised at how well the nuggets played after nine days of a layoff
1: good point there's a
0: big thing is even on nba.com they had somebody talking well is the altitude a factor hell yes the altitude's a factor Never been to the altitude before? You need to do that sometime and try it. So if you're a bike rider or you're a runner or you do something of any type of, with using any type of energy, uh, go to the mountains and, and get up at you know 5,000, 6,000 feet or more and just see how you can breathe. I'm telling you, if you're not there for a few days to try to acclimate, it has an impact on you. Now these guys are in great condition and stuff. It's not like it's going to destroy you for the whole game, but it certainly is going to have an impact. Sometimes during the game, you're going to go. Huh? <laughs> where's the air, where's the air? And, and, and it can have an impact, no question. So I thought well, they did a
1: terrific job. Rick, Rick, you're an expert, if, if anyone, because you live in Colorado. You, you travel back and forth at least twice a year, probably more like 10 to 20 times a year. I lived in the Rocky Mountains in Wyoming for a year. And it's and not to mention, I was a former sponsor of Snowboarder. Yes, the altitude makes a massive difference. I, I, read, a, I read a column that uh, or a story where the Nuggets players we're saying it still affects them and they live there. So, but you're the well, expert on this. I mean, you literally without, live
0: without, without question. It's a factor. And I think that's why I remember I'd said in our last conversation that Miami should, should, uh, and I don't know if they did. I, I thought I'd read something, but it didn't verify. I couldn't find anything too definitive about whether or not they left from Boston and came out to Denver to get acclimated to the altitude. Uh, because, you know, coming out here the day before a game or something, that's crazy. I mean, right. if you had Chance to get out to get acclimated. You need to do that and get a couple practices in so your guys can can nullify the effect that the altitude may have on you. So they they played exceptionally well. Uh, they had a letdown. I thought it it, it was uh, it was it was great after the game. Coach talked to the players there, the Nuggets, and said uh, he he said, "Hey guys, you know we haven't accomplished anything yet. We did what we needed to do, and we have to keep our focus. You know the same thing. You got to you got to keep your head in the game all the time because they had the big twenty point lead." And it's the only quarter they got outscored in was the last quarter. But you don't want to give any team any hope because here's the thing. What they did by doing that, even though they won, psychologically, they gave Miami and the players some hope saying, hey, look, here's what we can do if we play well, because they shot three-point shooting was abysmal, 25-something percent in the first three quarters. And, and even for the game, some of their best, you know, Duncan, Duncan you know, didn't shoot the ball well, and, and they shot terribly, 25-something percent. But in the last quarter, they shot six for 12. So that would have been a big factor in the game, because if Miami's not shooting the three points well, they're not going to win the game. Okay, right. that, that's a fact. Now if their shooters come through for them again and Denver plays the way they played in the fourth quarter they they could be in trouble and could lose this game. Now I don't anticipate that happening necessarily, but uh, it was it was a nice performance by by the Nuggets, but I think they they missed the boat a little bit by giving a little bit of a of hope to Miami. By being outscored and giving up that many points in that in that fourth quarter, so that's fair. No, that's fair because
1: momentum is a very real thing, Rick, as you, as anyone knows. But well, you know, mental. Know. Mental. This is where it is. Yeah. Well, that's in what that head. means, mostly, right? When you say momentum, yeah, no, it's, no, all it's about... mostly
0: it's here. It's it's Correct. here. It's between the freaking ears. Correct. You got to have the right attitude going in and doing that. Well, now, hey, if I'm there, say, hey, listen, guys, if I'm the coach, or if I'm Eric, I'm going to say, hey, guys, look at we, never, we, we all know we didn't play our best game. We didn't shoot the threes well, blah, blah. We didn't get to the free throw line. I mean, I couldn't even believe it when I saw how many free throws. I mean, they shut no free throws. It's crazy. I mean, the free throws, but you got to be able to attack. You got to get some other easy points. And so, a lot of things they didn't do well, wow. yet they got it down where they didn't get beat by 20 points. So, that's the psychological. You know, effect, and you're only trying to win. You're trying to win one of those games on the road, okay? And so they blew that opportunity in game one. They've got another game coming up tomorrow with an opportunity, knowing that they didn't play anywhere near their best basketball in that game.
1: Well, Rick, just so so when the when the Warriors were eliminated, I've been on vacation mode a little bit. I'm not I'm not a student of the game like I normally am, and and I'm reevaluating this box score right now just to let people know what you mean. I didn't know this that that none of the Heat starters had a single free throw attempt. Right. They had two free throw attempts total in the right. entire game. And that was from Haywood Highsmith, who I mean, I, 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 anyway, that, that's crazy to me. So uh, here's another stat that kind of stuck out, though, as well. Uh, the Nuggets did not shoot the ball well from three. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., who has been lights out, at least entering this series, was only two for 11. Uh, they, they shot eight of 27 uh, below 30 percent as a team. So the Nuggets it, did not shoot the ball well, but that's this is
0: what I'm talking about when you start analyzing and looking and seeing what happens. So I'm giving you all these things to be, if you're yes, a fan, to feel good about, right? Yeah. Hope to go oh, wow, well, you didn't do that. But then then if you're a Denver fan, say hell, we we're up by 20 points going into uh-huh. the quarter. We still won by we still won by you know double digits, and hell, we shot terrible from the 3 point line. So, Absolutely. I mean, so you can always look at all of these things, it, but the the bottom line is it was interesting. Somebody wrote about it. Really, there is no way to have to defend. Uh, you know, the Joker, and the thing sad about the Joker is that the team-wise, they have a better record when he gets 12, 12 assists or more than they do when he gets 30 or 40 points in the game. Mm. So he's more effective, and they're a better team when he's getting higher numbers of assists as opposed to scoring more points. There But you know. here's the thing that you have to understand. The Joker knows the game, and so... He scores the points if they if they think they have to score the points, you know. If they need them, he'll go try to get some for them. But he'd rather set his teammates up. He's he's really got the mentality of a point guard. Right, right. Get his teammates involved doing stuff. Hey, if you need some points, I'll try to get some points and score for you. Kind of like the way uh, you know Steve Nash, who I love, played, and that's the way he approached the game. I mean, I just think that's the smartest way to to approach it if you're if if you're handling the, the point. And a lot of times now, everybody talks about the scoring point guard. You know, so you know Jokic is the is the assisting center. <laughs> and that's what he does, and you know he'll get his double double, you know doubles and rebounds, and get his triple doubles. He's just he's a guy that can hurt you in so many different ways. So it makes it very difficult. And they said, yeah, he Adibato's fronting him and denied him a bunch of stuff down in the low post, which is great. But I think where he's most dangerous is when he gets the ball to the top of the key or three point line. Because if he gets, I would always have him get the ball right outside top of the key, three out behind the three point line, because he can shoot
1: that shot. He has to to guard him. Yes, sir.
0: You You know, I want
1: to, I have two questions I want to ask you. Uh, uh, One is Nikola Jokic, again, he's, it's, it's, it's incredible what this player's turned into. Uh, And I'm curious to know, in your opinion, how, like what his game translate to your era or to different eras. Like, like, would he be as successful in the seventies or eighties as he is now? And then, and then the second question, we talked about the free throws, uh, and, and, and I'd love to get your opinion, um, because when I hear free throws, I always immediately think of officiating. And there is one official who's in trouble right now. But I guess the first question is the Nikola Jokic question. Would he thrive under any, any era? Like, would Will Chamberlain destroy him? Would he compete? Would he actually, you know, let, would, he, would he actually, you know, uh, you know fit in on uh, the floor? Would he, no would he, question, would he, because he, he understands how to play the game. I mean, and he's
0: he's such a facilitator for a big man. And he could take the other team's big man away from the basket. Right. All Right. And see, in the old days, the whole philosophy was play your guys tough, force them into your big men. I mean, you actually, you try to make the guys drive to force them in to try to score over your center. I had the good fortune of having Nate Thurman as my first center. A top 50 player, great defensive, one of the best defensive players ever in the history of the game, right up there with Wilton and Russell. Right. So, but that's the, that's what the philosophy was. But now that's, you know, that's not the case because there's not a lot of rim protectors in the league anymore. Right. Certainly isn't one. And that's one of the things that Miami didn't do well. And I think one of the reasons that stat gets skewed a little bit because stats don't always tell the whole story True. is that. They took a lot of they took shots and took a lot of shots from outside because they were down. They had to try to get back in the game and and then they didn't shoot the ball well. And they, they you know, it wasn't a lot of opportunities for them inside. Things they needed to do, obviously, by the fact that they got two free throws. Right, right. That's crazy. Plus, I mean, I would challenge the Joker all day. Hell, I used to challenge Will Chamberlain and, and Bill Russell. But the Joker, you know, Joker gets air sick if he gets over four inches, I think. So, I mean, right. he's not a shot blocker. So it's a totally different dynamic that 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 you have to play with the joker, but that I just love, I love the way he plays. And so what do you yeah. do for him? I mean, how do you defend him If he's out beyond the three point line, you can't just let him sit there and let him just have the shot all day. Cause he's going to shoot a high percentage of those and make them. And then when, when he has the ball, you have to be so careful with your man. And if you're smart and you know how to set your guy up and know how to move without the basketball, which is, For a lot of guys, a lost art form. Trust me, I trust me on this because I, I don't even want to go into why I'm telling you all this, but a lot of guys have no clue how to set their man up. It's one of the easiest things in the world to do because all I have to do is if I get my guy, so I'm here, if I can get my defender and I know I want to go this way. So if I do something and I go to move like I'm going this way, even though I'm doing this way, I'm ready to push off and go back that way. So if I do this and he does. Uh, just just that just that little bit I'm gonna back cut him I'm going right right okay And, and with a guy like the Joker I mean my god you get so many easy baskets and so again those are the little nuances of the game that a lot of players don't know even like you know LeBron James he doesn't do things as efficiently and as effectively as he could as great as he is my god you know, I, I tried to get him, you know, and he didn't want to listen to me or whatever, or didn't come back to me. Uh, there's things I could show. Could have showed LeBron years and years ago when I approached him. That as good as he is, he would have been stupid good because he's so athletic, but he didn't take advantage of little subtle things to do and how to, how to beat your defender depending upon how he you guard The one that sticks in my mind so much is when I was watching my son bring when he was with the Spurs. <clears throat> and the Spurs were playing against him, and Bruce Bowen, one of the best defenders in the league, individual defenders, was guarding Right. Him. And so he came off. And I think it was Duncan and somebody else. So he came and he curled off off a double. I think it was a double, or it might have been a single off. You know, down the outside of the free throw line, down deep. And he came this way, and Bowen was tra- trailing him. Well, if that happens, you come and you curl. Bowen's out of the picture. He's no longer a factor. And he's running to the free throw left at the key area, catches the pass, and boom! There's bone right in his jock. You know well, they don't wear jocks anymore, but there's bone right up in his grill. <laughs> I mean, so little stuff like that is just—it's it, such—it's not a difficult game, and the little subtleties and the little finer points of it are not being taught to these players. Right, to take full advantage of the God-given, amazing athletic talent that they have. I'm just, I'm in awe watching these guys, seeing what they do. I mean, come on, we're watching this new, you know, the the new guy with the seven, seven foot four freaking freak. That's going to go. Wemby. Yes, sir. The Wemby man. I mean, he's crazy. I mean, he's seven foot four and he's he's shooting mid race (laughs) pull-ups and he's handling the basketball. I mean, it's a different world out there, but here's the thing. Be taught and bring somebody in to teach how to be more efficient with the amazing talent that you have. There are so many players in the NBA today that if they knew these other things, as good as they are and as great as they are, they would be better. They would go to another level. Anyway, so I'll get that rant out of the way. uh, No,
1: it's a a good rant. I'm with you. Uh, And and this leads to the the second question I asked, and I don't know how familiar you are with the story, but a longtime NBA official, Eric Lewis – Yeah. Um, Is currently under investigation uh, by the NBA because uh, a few people, uh, some Twitter social media sleuths, uncovered a Twitter account. Um, uh, You know, they call them burner accounts, right? People who maintain anonymity, yet, you know, they use Twitter to use that account to, uh, you know, bolster their their image. So, whatever. In, In this case, he was arguing with a lot of people. This account's been active for like five, six years. Um, and he's currently not officiating the NBA Finals. He's the only active official who officiated the Finals last year who was not asked to come back. And the insinuation is that it's because of this investigation.
0: I saw that. I didn't read all about it and everything. But what's the insinuation? Are they insinuating that he was... Uh, calling certain plays in order to get an advantage with gambling? No, I,
1: I looked at, I mean, the, the, the reason why people are upset is because Eric Lewis supposedly is a Celtics fan. And so a lot of people feel like he's always been biased against the Lakers or, or you know, anyone else that the Celtics have played against. Um, but no, I mean, I looked at a lot of those tweets, and it was just mostly just him uh, defending himself, arguing back with people who accuse him of being a bad official or, or you know, rigging games, like, but it was just him being very candid in these tweets and explain and, and and I don't know if I guess I guess it would be a code of conduct maybe that he violated. I don't know. But it's just fascinating to me that you know he got he, he got exposed. He got exposed for having a Twitter account that he was using anonymously to defend himself. And I guess the NBA is investigating now. So that's yeah, the
0: word. whatever it is, but let's let's focus on, the, on what's most important. He's not officiating, he'll have no impact on the outcome of the game. The players are gonna have the out, the outcome of the games in their hands and their control. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens.
1: Um, Miami has to, Miami,
0: because statistically, again, the analytics and the statistics are so amazing today. Sometimes way too much, but agreed. They have to, they, yeah, it was egregious at the time. Yeah, they have they have to up tempo the game. They're a much better basketball team when they play up tempo. Um, Miami? Well, their record isn't anywhere near as good. You know, if they're scoring 90 points or something a game, I mean, that's not going to play in their favor. But they had a bad game. I mean, it wasn't like it was the great defense. They had all kinds of unbelievable wide-open looks. In fact, somebody brought it up. I was seeing somewhere that they had way more open three looks than they had in any other game so far in the playoffs. Who, Miami? Yeah. Oh. Open looks. Oh. Well, so, they did they didn't take so so advantage of that. Their offense just let them down. They just did not yeah. shoot the ball well. And uh, it was costly for them. I mean, there's no question about it. So... We'll see. It's going to be fun to watch it. I always enjoy watching this because uh, this is when everything means so much more. Every game has so much more importance. And it's fun to see for me how players respond and not the pressure because there is no pressure. If you have confidence, remember that folks, it doesn't exist, how they respond to the enormity of the situation, the expectations that are there and, the importance of everything that you do on the court is magnified in the playoffs and the importance of it is magnified. And so how do you deal with that and how do you respond? And as I say, if you want to take a real look when you start talking about players and how good they are, this and that look at what they did in the regular season and compare what they did that into the playoffs. Because if they're doing as well or even doing better, that's an accomplishment because the officiating changes. It gives the defense more of an advantage. It becomes a much more physical game, which I think is a disadvantage to the skilled player because they get the defense gets away with a lot more, and you really have to elevate your game in order to do that, and so just check that out because there are a lot of players, and even in baseball, the same thing, not that the same thing doesn't happen in baseball, it's just that the importance of the situation because the pitcher doesn't change the pitcher all of a sudden has no impact the empires aren't going to have an impact on it it's how do you perform at bat when you're playing that's where the main thing is how do you perform as a pitcher it's for being able to have your control and put the ball where you want to put it and how do you match up against their players that they have all the great scouting reports on obviously but how do you do at bat i mean that's a simple thing you're either getting a hit or you're not getting a hit. Mm-hmm. You're getting a talk. I mean, so that's on the player, totally and completely on the player. And it's a matter of whether he plays at a high level or whether the pitcher is not performing up to the level that he can perform. There's no referees changing the dynamic of the game. That doesn't happen. You know, it really doesn't. And I don't think that officials in baseball start changing their strike zone in the freaking playoffs. You know? <laughs> well, but the officials, But the officials in basketball change the way they call the game there is no question about that. I'm, yeah. No question about that. I would I mean, prefer. I see two guys. They crash into one another. I mean, I think I mean, when I watch it, I say, well, I'm watching like my son Canyon's playing in the World Cup in 3X3 over Vienna. Oh, my God. It's like it, they maul each other out there. It's, just, it's like and it's worse than NBA playoff basketball. It's crazy what they allow them to do without the whistle being blown. And to me, that's
1: a distinct advantage to the less skilled player. Oh, and- interesting. Okay. Because I, I was going to say as a fan watching the games, I would prefer the refs not being involved. Like if, if the play on to me is a, is good for the aesthetic, um, I can't stand hearing referees' whistles. And then for me personally, it also comes down a lot to like, you know, most people, 99.99% of the, of the populace does not understand what it's like to be an NBA player, right? That's only the, the elite select few ever get that experience. Most of us scrubs, we play, you know, on the blacktop, we play on the playground and, and you know we're not calling ticky tack fouls in that kind of scenario, so it, it, it's hard for 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 our, the experience of the average Joe who plays and then watches the game on TV to understand to 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 to, under, to find it relatable when a referee is just blowing that damn whistle time and time and again. Right. And stop but here's the, action. the thing. I,
0: and I can understand where you're coming from, and nobody wants to see a parade and you know shooting 60 free throws a game. Or right. <laughs> However, here's the thing. If the officials will just do the one thing, call the game according to the rule book every single time you step out on the court and call it according to the rule book, whether it's in the first minute or the last minute. It's irrelevant whether the game's on the line or you just started the game. And here's what will happen. And if you call it the same way. So if you're going to call a foul according to the rule book, here's the thing. And it's a little touchy and it has no impact and stuff. Well, then if you're not calling that at the start of the game. You sure as hell should not be calling it at the end of the game. Fair. And conversely, if you are calling it in the game there at the beginning, you should be calling it at the end because the players, I can obviously firsthand, you will adjust to the officials. Right. Which is crazy. You shouldn't have to adjust to the officials because the officials should be calling it the same way every freaking game. Right. <laughs> OK, but some days they're letting more go. Other times they're not. One time it's a foul in this game. The next game you play, you do the same thing and, and it's not a foul. I mean that the inconsistency of the calls of yes. basketball is what drives me absolutely bonkers because I, I will you. adjust to it. I know the rules and I'm, now it's just a matter of how is he calling it. Well, however he decides to call it, even if it is contrary to what I think the rule book says and, and he's consistent about it, at least I can adjust to that. But when they do it one way at the start and one way at the end, that is the oh my god I want to go just like shake them and hit him
1: in the head. What the hell are you doing? And I I got the song queued up.
0: It does. That, that's one of the things that's that's right up there at the top of you know, and there the top of the list and the top 5 for sure of the things that drive me crazy about the game. And, and here's the thing. It's correctable, easily, easily, very easily,
1: very, very easily. Yeah. So anyway. you know, I, before we move on to the to the Warriors, which I'm guessing is a topic that a lot of people want to hear your thoughts on, sir. Uh, I, you know, I one thing I, I was curious about going before we move on from the finals is why Eric Spolstra chose to go with Haywood Highsmith. I, I have no familiarity with this kid at all. I Googled him. He was a, he played, I think, D2 in college. Just one of the many undiscovered talents that the Miami Heat have uh, promoted on the roster. But we didn't see Kevin Love play a minute. He DNT'd. Oh, that's the thing I was going to bring up to you. I was surprised. Yeah. Of
0: the, the poor three-point shooting and the and, and, and thing with the Joker is to bring him in and let him be center and have Joker, Joker have to guard him. Correct. And let him go out and give him a chance to shoot some threes. You know, I mean, exactly. I, I, that was surprising. I, very surprising, especially he has so much more experience than any player on their team when it comes to playoff competition.
1: And I imagine the reason is defense. Uh, that's probably why Haywood Highsmith was playing. And, and look, it's hard to argue against Spoh's rationale because Denver again shot under thirty percent from three. They only scored one hundred four points, but you got to score points yourself, and ninety three was not enough. So. But Spo is such a brilliant coach. I is you in your opinion, is he the best coach in the NBA? I,
0: I can't ever answer that because he's one of the better coaches up from from the outside. Because if, if you're not there in practice every day and hearing what he says, you're not in the huddle hearing everything. You know that's why they got the mics back in there. So that's always kind of interesting to hear how coaches yeah. are dealing with things right now, and you get a pretty good idea uh, of how they. Um, how they're approaching by what they have to say under the circumstances and what, and so I, again, that stopped for so many years. I, I've told this before it stopped in art in 1975. When, when Casey Jones was the coach of the, of the, of the bullets when we played them in the finals and Bernie Bickerstaff, the assistant was doing all the, tot- and, and, and it did not make Casey look very good. And right. It cost him his job. And not only getting swept that, but what was going on in the huddle. And, and so, your coaches realized that, and anybody watching it saw that. And so the coaches said, you know, screw that. I mean, you know, I don't want you in my heart to listen to what I have to say and what, you're, what I'm, we're going to be doing. So now it's back. You know, they. It, I think it's good. I mean, why shouldn't you not have to do that? It's it's fun for the fans to have an idea, see what the coach is, how he's approaching it and all. Because here's one of the big reasons why. Because as I told you, I call it the black line syndrome. I have my syndromes all the time in basketball. <laughs> So you sit at the bench, the coach is telling you all to do. Yeah, coach, okay, Grady tells you. They step across that black line, and all of a sudden, what the coach said all of a sudden goes into the freaking Bermuda Triangle. They have no idea, remember what he said. And that's like <laughs> hey, well, that wasn't a very good play. The announcers, especially when especially hear that I hear the color on us, well, that wasn't that's not a very good play coming out of a timeout. Well, how the hell do you know that's the play that he called? <laughs> he might have called something totally different, and what happened? You know, they didn't execute. Or they didn't try to do what he said they were supposed to do. But if you hear him in the huddle and you say, you see what's supposed to be done, and then a lot of times you go out and see, did
1: the team actually go out and try to do that? Yeah, when it comes to results, it's hard to argue against full especially. And, 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 you know, you played against someone who I respect tremendously just because he clearly knows basketball. He wins almost anywhere he goes, and that's Pat Riley. Did you envision when you played against them uh, that he would turn into this, this savant as a coach and executive? Uh,
0: no, I had no idea. You know,
1: I told you my Pat Riley story, right? I no, mean, did you? I, or
0: I forgot. Did, or you ever heard my Pat Riley story? I don't know. So I when but... I was at the University of Miami, we were playing, we were playing with Calvin Murphy's, so and we we're playing Niagara on the road. And so I was gonna, I went up, I was going up to see the coach in, in his hotel room, and the door was open. As I get up there, I heard this guy inside that Bruce. I'm telling you, it was Bruce Hale was his name. He says, "Bruce, I'm telling you, this guy is way better than Rick Barry." And he was talking about Pat Riley trying to get him to go to Miami before he went. (laughs) And I never forgot that.
1: Who said this?
0: Some guy that knew the coach who was trying to get him to go after Pat Riley to play at the University of Miami. Well, that motivated you, right? Well, no, I said, really? I said, who the hell is this Pat Riley guy? You know, and so... I remembered that, you know, and uh, anyway, obviously that guy was wrong, but that's okay.
1: Yeah, exactly. He was blatantly wrong. Um, and before we move on to the Warriors, Rick, uh, you know, the, this, and speaking of coaching, uh, on the other side of the of the coin, when we talk about great coaches like Spo, there's a coach that the Celtics have named Joe Mazzulla, who has been uh, criticized all season long for, uh, he, you know, he always saves his timeouts. I, I'm I'm basing this off what Celtics fans say. I've heard I've heard their criticisms and. He supposedly does not like calling timeouts. And what I thought the criticism I find very valid is the Celtics went into Game 7 knowing full well that the Miami Heat were going to uh, uh, implement a, a zone-heavy defense for most of that game. It's, been, it was, it's what was working. It was no secret. And we didn't really see an adjustment from the Celtics offensively to counter that. Uh, your thoughts on the Joe Missoula situation in Boston?
0: Well, like anything in life, it's a learning experience and you yeah. get better. And he doesn't have the experience of having done it, probably helped him. But he did get him, you know, having to step in and got him to the you know, the chance to play in the finals of the yeah. conference. I mean, it's not like they, they, you know, but he didn't, he wasn't the guy missing shots. He wasn't the guy turning the ball over. I mean, the Celtics kind of shot themselves in the foot. And, and the, the, the team itself was just on a roller coaster ride. Yeah. I mean, they were Jekyll and Hyde. You know, yes, they were going to freaking show up. Yes, they were. I mean, just like, you know, they, they, they're, they're down three to two to Philadelphia. All of a sudden, they came back and they played, you know, Dr. Jekyll showed up again, you know, and, you know, and then Mr. Hyde showed up in the next series, and then Dr. Jekyll would show up. And, and that, as a coach, is kind of frustrating. You know, as a coach, you want players who play consistently, okay, that you can count on on a regular basis to do things. And as a player, you you should be striving to be a more consistent player, knowing full well that there are going to be some games because we're not perfect human beings, especially on offense, where you're going to have games where you can kick it and it'll go in the basket. You could have our games where you just for whatever reason, it's just not going in. It goes in and out or it's off a quarter of an inch and that's enough to hit the rim and bounce out. And that's going to happen. And I was told that by my coach in college, Bruce Hale, who was a, you know, a great pro basketball player himself. He said, you're going to have somewhere between 8 to 10 games during that season that your your shot's not going to be working and it's just not going to be going. He said, that when you see that that's happening, you have to be smart enough to still find ways to be productive and help your team. So if you're not making those shots, drive and get to the basket. Get it to the free throw line. The rebounds, get up. On the break a little bit more. Stop always taking the shot. Like you say, you got to shoot your way out of it. Yeah, but you can help that cause because there's something about seeing that ball go through the basket, feeling it go off your hands just one time, even if it's not a longer distance shot. Because again, it's up in here. You know, you got to feel good about it, and 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 believe in yourself. But you do still have to shoot it. You got to take the open shots. But the problem that the Celtics have is two of their key players have what I. Have dubbed my other syndrome, right? It's, it's the Westbrook syndrome, right? And, and that is forcing the issue, trying to make things happen that aren't there. Take what the defense gives you, keep it as simple as possible. And they create turnovers that hurt them tremendously. That's what happened against the Warriors. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in one of the games, both of them had five turnovers each. And turnovers are a killer because even if the team – if a team gets 15 more shots at you because of turnovers, right, and they're only shooting 33% from the field, and it's just two points, right, it's just two points. One third, that's 10 points yeah. to their advantage, not counting threes. That's hard to make up. So that's, that's the reality of it. As I said, this is
1: not a complicated game. Agreed. Yeah, people, people overly complicate something that does not need to. I, I'm with you 100%. 100% with you on that. Um, are you ready to talk Warriors? Well, let's get
0: some, let's get oh, some questions you know, before we go on to.
1: Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, we'll go from the bottom to the top. Uh, let's start with Rob W.
0: Hi, Rick. During your professional playing days, what were your favorite cities to visit? Ooh. And why? Ooh. I'm curious about the nightlife, the food, all those kinds of things. Uh, or maybe it was the competition. I'd love to hear your answers. Thank you.
1: And strip clubs. And don't forget strip clubs. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, it, interesting. Uh, yeah, well, uh,
0: I hated going to L.A. because I hated the baskets down there um, and the rims. So, so it, does Steph. I, I, huh? So does Steph. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that was one of my least favorite places to go. I love going to New York because Ned Irish said I was too skinny and flaky and didn't draft me. He drafted Bill Bradley instead of me, and so I never forgave him for that. So I always loved going to New York just to be able to have a chance to kick the freaking Knicks' ass, uh, and, and 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 I had a lot of big games offensively against the Knicks in my career. So. Uh, and But I didn't particularly like in those days, you're busy doing it. I love to go to New York to go. I love to go to New York, but I did it all before. I love to go to you know, the Hayden Planetarium. I love to go to the Museum of Natural History, see that stuff. But, you know, and go to the theater to go see some great, you know, different plays, musicals, dramas, whatever. I really enjoy that. But um, other than that, no. Talking about the nightlife, I guess, you know, you have to ask the other guys who are out there doing it. The best thing you can do for your nightlife is go back to the hotel afterwards, get something to freaking eat and go to bed because we had to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to catch the first flight out in the freaking morning, you know? It's not like we were jumping on a charter plane. There is no nightlife in a lot of places now. They get done with the game. They go right to the airport and get on a charter plane, fly to the next city to get a good night's sleep. So it's a t- different world now.
1: It is um, funny, Rick, how the schedule is crafted, especially for the Warriors. There are certain cities where – the, the schedule makers don't allow them to spend extra time there. Salt Lake City comes to mind. But for some reason, when they travel to a place like Miami, you always get an extra two, three days after that game for them to, to, to enjoy all the all the luxuries and, and culture. Well, actually, all... so place, Greg, let place. me ask you this. What, what perc- just ballpark, right? What is the, in your opinion, what is the percentage of the average locker room where of the players who prefer to stay focused on the on the sport, on their profession, versus those who actually like to go out and explore the nightlife and enjoy bachelor life. And like, what's what's the breakdown there? Like, how many on average, how many players are, are going out, and how many players are like you, where if they go out is for the culture? You're you're clearly you know, you're. I respect your intelligence so much. Answer that right up there.
0: I doubt very seriously if there's a very very minute percenters are going out for the culture of any freaking city. <laughs> So let's get let's get that straight. Fair. And then it's just a matter of when the thing is, they don't even have a chance to do it so many times because you're going to the airport to go to the next game. In our case, also, even though we were in the cities all the time, (laughs) we didn't get any money. We weren't making millions of dollars to be able to go out and do things and spend money. And I mean, my God, I mean, with Eight dollars a day per diem when I came into the league. Are you freaking kidding me? (laughs) So, no, it's a different world. I don't have the answer to doing that. It's an individual preference for guys as to what they want to do. I mean, later on you know, in my career, late and stuff, and we won, I would get done. I'd go back to the hotel. In fact, some of the arenas we played in were so horrible, I would actually dress for the game in the are- at the hotel, and I'd go to the arena, and I'd get taped, and and I'd mm-hmm. come to the hotel to take my shower.
1: Okay, And then I'd order room service. Charles Barkley had these stories where he, he said he would sometimes have to wash his uniform in the shower. Would you have to do that, too? Oh, yeah. That was
0: maybe just for at the end, at, you know, sometime in the beginning of his career, probably. But he got to the point where he got all the stuff where you never touched your uniform. But did you? We but, always, I always had to go in, take my shower, and, and wash my uniform. With your uniform on? Is that how you did it? I would go it? in the shower and wash my uniform, take <laughs> it back, put it in a plastic bag, and pray to God that it dried out before the next game. Oh! oh my god occasionally okay, not every game occasionally our trainer dick the leave and stuff he would go ahead and collect them and do stuff knowing where to play the next night we get to the next city put them in a bag and do stuff and he'd go out and get them washed that was later on but at the beginning no nah, no nah.
1: <laughs> well did you ever hear story? what about uh, i mean you had you had two sons who were prominent nba players and brent and john did they ever have stories about uh, locker room formalities and certain players who enjoy the nightlife versus those who No
0: I never talked to him about that. I didn't you know I didn't I don't I would never question him about that. I didn't I didn't, to be honest with you. I don't care what they did. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and my whole thing hey, here's the thing. This one creates some stir, how crazy I am. It'll probably get somebody who'll pick it up. If I were if I had gotten a chance to coach in the NBA, knowing how things went, I would allow Married guys, if they didn't have family use stuff, if they wanted to uh, let their wives go on the road. So
1: Repeat that again? You, you would I would
0: let- allow the guys in the team, if they're married, to allow their wives
1: to go on the road. Are they not allowed currently? No. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, I actually didn't know that. Well, what's the reasoning for that? Well, because it- Why?
0: Because he's going to get done with the game and he's going to go back and get something to eat or whatever with his, with his wife and go to bed. You know, now, before, they may still go to bed, but if they're not staying in the city that same night and they have that night, let's say it's in New York and you're going to be, you know, you're not going to leave until the next day because you don't play the next night. You don't leave the next day. Well, when's the last time you've heard of a guy getting in trouble at eight o'clock at night? That's true. Yeah. When does he get in trouble? Oh, 2.30 in the morning. Oh, yeah. I mean, so if they're going to do something, they're going to go out and say, go out all night and do stuff. If they're there and their wife is there, you don't have to worry about a guy going out and even, you know, getting himself in trouble. And then you got family matters at home and that becomes a problem for him. I mean, you can eliminate a whole bunch of that stuff. Seriously. I mean, it's uh, whatever the guy wanted to do. You just want to have the guys have peace of mind as to what they're doing. Now, here's the thing. The guys that wanted to go out and do all that stuff would probably be very upset. To know that they had other wives that were there on the road if they were married, too, because that would restrict them for going out and doing things that they probably shouldn't be doing. Right. (laughs) Interesting conundrum there. Uh, (laughs) But, yeah, again, just having been a player, I think you approach the regulations and the things that you have differently than a guy who never played at that level to understand what it's like to be a player out right. on the road and away and away from your family doing things. And so, and, you know, but they tend to fall into traps. I mean, the same way, like everybody picked up on Bill Sharman with the morning shoot around stuff, which used to be nothing. It's a full scale freaking workout now. I mean, I, I last thing I want to do is go out and expend any freaking energy at 10 o'clock in the morning when I got to play 40 minutes or more that night. What the <laughs> hell? I mean, I, I, I just don't want to do that. Yeah, I I didn't didn't want to do it. I had to do Mm -hmm. it, but I didn't want to do it. I don't blame you, sir. (laughs) Anyway, let me get back to some cities that he talked about doing stuff. I used to love to go to Seattle. That was fun. The great it's a crime that they not. It's, have it's crazy as crazy it was. I really enjoyed going to San Antonio. You know, you get to see. I mean, the River Walk now is so much better than it ever was. I mean, it's crazy to see that now. But that was a fun, you know, city to go down to. Plus, I like Mexican food, so it's you know, and
1: uh, wait, but let me ask you, Rick. Rick, why you're, that's this is an important topic that you since you brought that up. When you say you like Mexican food, do you like authentic Mexican food or Tex Mex, which is what they're serving down in San Antonio, or all the above?
0: Well, I I don't know exactly what's Tex Mex and what's you know regular aesthetic Mexican food. To me, it's Mexican food. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) I I tell you what I like. My whole thing for a restaurant, if they don't have good salsa at the start, okay, if they don't, if they have watery salsa, I'm not eating there. That's there you go. That's universal salsa with some consistency in it. I don't want it real hot because I'm a gringo. I mean, and so that's my whole thing. How are the chips for that? Because I (laughs) I can make a meal of chips. Great salsa and guacamole, and and that's how I do it. Because the other stuff, you know, the other stuff, you know, how can you, you know, some screw it up and some are better than others. But my whole premise for making a recommendation for a Mexican restaurant is is the salsa good with consistency, not too hot, and do they have good guacamole? And then I'll go. But I do, I, I, I generally, you know, it just depends. I mean, I might be in mood for a burrito or something of that nature. But uh, I usually go – I like enchiladas, you know, you know, chicken or cheese enchiladas. I don't have beef enchiladas and stuff. And so mm. that's what it is. But I do. I enjoy Mexican food because it doesn't take forever to get served. And it doesn't cost an outrageous amount of money unless you're in New York or L.A. or Chicago. Uh, and so, yeah. So that's and it. And if you order, you- I got to think of another city that I enjoy going to. Um, actually, I wasn't thinking about the city and all the culture and doing this stuff. I mean, you're on the road. Yeah. It's like – and it's a different thing. It's a different thing when you're in your 20s as opposed to when you're late 20s and your early 30s, because we as individuals, we change. That's right. why anybody get married. If I, I always tell you, you know, if men couldn't get married till they were 30 years old and women till they were 25, the divorce rate would plummet. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Because agree. because you're, you're 21 years old, you're getting married to somebody 18, 19, 20 years old or something, or you're 25, 23, whatever. Over the next five to 10 years, you are going to change as to what's important in your life. Yes, sir. 100 percent right. And your your thoughts about what is appealing to you and what's not appealing to you may change. Well, you change, but is your does your bride change or is she going to be exactly the way? Is the same thing there now? All of a sudden, you don't have the same things necessarily in common, right? So anyway, I, I think if you look at that, you see divorce rates 30 and above would probably be significantly lower uh, than than when they get married a little bit too young. So. Uh, But one other city, I'm just trying to think of what other real uh, pop-up. Oh, I used to love to go. I actually loved going to Dallas because, again, Mexican food, it was good. The weather's usually good. Except when I played in the (laughs) ABA, my friends down there, they said, would you stop coming here anymore in the wintertime? Because every time you come here, at least it snows once. Seriously. It's like almost every year that I went to Dallas on one of the trips and everything, it snowed. And it doesn't snow very often in Dallas, Texas. (laughs) That (laughs) happens. The people panic. They have no idea how to drive in snow. So, anyway, that was. But <laughs> like that was in Houston for that reason, for the Mexican food and Phoenix. Same thing with the Mexican food. You know, it's so. We actually, did you play when you were in the ABA? Did you play in San Diego? Yeah, we actually played. Uh, we actually played a game in San Diego. They oh, yeah. tested the markets in places. We played a couple of home games in Fresno, California. Played the Celtics in Fresno. I remember that. We went up and tested the market for Seattle. We tested the market in Phoenix before they ever had a team. And so that was kind of interesting. And we, yeah. we
1: played down in San Diego. I remember playing a game down in San Diego. <clears throat> yeah. The reason why I bring it up is because San Diego has a, a particularly delightful uh, treat that you don't find in most other cities. And it's called a California burrito where they put French fries in the burrito. That's, that's the only difference. But French fries a, in a burrito? It makes such a drastic, positive difference. And there's a, a Mexican food truck down the street from where I live here in Guerneville that serves California burritos. It's to die for. Never, never heard recommend.
0: of it, but you know, I, I, if, if I had to do that, I probably want to try it with sweet potato fries. Oh, look at
1: you! Look at you! Just mixing it up. Are you ready well, to go, to I, I, sweet potato fries—they're lower on the glycemic. Agreed. They're healthy. Relatively healthy. I mean, relatively correct. Actually, I'm actually lighter. I'm
0: lighter now than I was when I played ball. Incredible! Wow. Yeah, know, a few pounds. I'm a few pounds lighter. I've kind of maintained in that. 212 to 218 range and I try to keep it at 215 or lower if possible uh, but you know you got you got to be careful of what you eat so it's important you
1: oh well I mean the old adage right you are what you eat and I, be- I believe in that I, I really do uh, you want to go with Craig in yeah let's hear okay. yeah. what Craig is say. hey Rick this is Craig from Pleasanton hey I feel that basketball IQ is a very important part of the game beside yourself who did you feel had a real high basketball IQ during your playing days? And who do you think has a high basketball IQ in today's uh, game?
0: Mm. Well, the second part of your question, we answered a lot right, right away. The Joker has a great basketball IQ. Uh, they're really yeah. outstanding point guards. I think most of the outstanding players have a really good IQ, along with the defining quality. Which I've spoken about many, many times, and that is a natural feel for the game. It, it, you can't teach a natural feel for the game. Now, basketball IQ can be taught to you if at an early age you're explained to things, man, ball, relationship. You know, all the other things make sure, you know, if the ball moves, you move, you know, if, the, if your man moves, you move. And, it's, and the thing that's not taught enough of is that the same thing appeals, not just on defense. It's on offense. If your man's driving and doing stuff, I spoke to this many times, move, give, give your teammate a, a, an angle in case he can't get to the basket. So he's someplace to get rid of it, and not get stuck up in the air with a defender between him and his other teammates. So, you know, these are the little things I talked about earlier in the program mm-hmm. that aren't being, I don't think, are being taught to players, which should be getting taught to them when they first start out. There should mm-hmm. be a curriculum for anybody that's getting to coach any youth team that he needs to follow. And these are the subtle little things that need to be in there to be able to convey that to these young players. So it becomes second nature to them and their basketball IQ becomes high. And then if they're God, blessed with the God given talent and ability. Well, they're going to become really nice players, and if they have the natural feel, now they can become really great players. So, yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of how it goes with that. So, anyway, this and then the, the second, the first part of the thing, I almost got so caught up on the second part of this question.
1: Uh, I mean, remember what he said? He asked me, "What was it?" Play it well, again. he asked about basketball. I here, let's get, we can hear it again. Here's Craig. Hey Rick, this is Craig from Pleasanton. Hey, I feel that basketball IQ is a very important part of the game. Besides yourself, back in my who day, who do you feel okay. had a real high?
0: So I think I answered that question. Yeah, it was back in my day if I did it. So yeah, it's uh, you know the, the great players, didn't you? Know, I mean Jerry West, Oscar Robertson. I mean you start naming all the great players: Bill Russell, IQ, understanding the things. I mean Kuzi. I mean all the great players. Were taught the game because back in the days, it was so much more fundamentals and things being taught. I, I think the problem today is, and I've said this before and I won't mention names, but there are a great many players in the NBA making obscene amounts of money today who are really outstanding players who are never going to be as good as they should be or could have been if they had the fundamentals of the game down and were taught properly about it and and, and had a better IQ about mm-hmm. the game because you're then able to capitalize and utilize those God-given skills and abilities to their
1: fullest. Here's Jim Cleveland. We haven't even touched on the Warriors yet. Hopefully one of these questions brings it up. Hi Rick, what do you think the impact is of Bob Myers uh, leaving the team? Secondly, uh, the future of Draymond Green. Do you think the Warriors should lock him down for a longer term than through next year? oh boy
0: okay we could we could do we could do a long show just on this topic alone the warriors have an enormous number of questions to be answered
1: and this is where i'm your resource sir i i i I think i'm i think i've familiarized myself with the cap so i can consider myself to be a cap expert yeah so the
0: cap the cap is a whole big a whole nother issue that you need to just focus on doing. I don't want to be focused on that. That would not be my deal. I want to. I wouldn't want to be in that area. That's why as a GM and stuff, I would know. I would want to have a cap expert.
1: That's something I've studied right. it, Frank. I can That's answer almost anything.
0: If I was if I was a GM of a team, I would have a cap expert who was there, who understood it inside out, and could explain to me, say, "Hey, I'd like to do this. Today. How does that fit in? Boom. Tell me. Let me talk about the players, their t- talent, whatever. I want to do something. You tell me whether or not we can do this. What happens financially, whatever. Because I, I don't want to deal with that. Right. Uh, but it's an important factor depending upon what your owner says. He says, I don't give a crap. You know, do what you got to do. Get, you know, if you feel you need to get somebody, let's go get them. So putting that all aside. First of all, who's going to take over? Who's going to be the new general manager? Are are they going to have a president and general manager? Are they going to get two separate people to do that? How are they going to work together? And then the big thing is, I think there's a number of issues that have to be there. Draymond Green is certainly one of them. Uh, do you want to pay him what other teams might be willing to pay him and, and pay those outrageous monies and have to pay the tax, the luxury tax? Um, based upon the fact that, based upon what you told me in an interview that Steve Kerr in- inferred that he thought Draymond punching Jordan Poole had an impact on the chemistry of that basketball team.
1: They all did. Draymond himself said that punch uh, cost them the second round. He, Draymond said that they would have gone further if that had not had happened. And my, and my guess is the impact was primarily Draymond not being able to be himself as a leader, because until that punch, he was a vocal individual. He would call people out. And after that punch, he had to be a muted version of himself for a long time. While well, we reestablished you know, his credibility and, and yeah, that, that messed up well, a lot. That, that goes back to, I think,
0: showing you one of the problems that exist in today's world with the sensitivity of our youth. They're so used to being coddled and spoiled that they, they, they weren't brought up in a strict manner. They got away with everything in the world and they can't deal with stuff like that. I mean, OK, guy yeah. did that. You can get mad at him doing everything. You say, hey, you know what? It happened in the spur of the moment. Like what happens on the court? One time, the same with me in a game. I say something I do. It practice. When I walked out of the gym or I walked out of the arena and everything, that was over. That was over. You can't change what happened there. It's over. Deal with it. If you're mad, tell me you can piss off. You know, I mean, whatever it is. But move on. Yeah. You can't allow that to impact you in a negative way, personally or team-wise. I mean, that's that's the sad part about it. It's, I mean, yeah, we had guys, get, you know, got into fights and two stuff. I mean, you had all kinds of crazy stuff what happened. And It, it happens in all sports. But it shouldn't have that kind of an impact on a team, and it's it's sad.
1: Yeah, agreed. And so,
0: and so that's the decision. How do you ha- if you're gonna if you want to keep Draymond, how do you keep
1: Draymond if you keep Pool? Well, I mean, supposedly whatever was well, supposedly from, I mean, and, you know, I mean, from what I've gathered publicly, from what they've said, uh, they, whatever these issues are, they're in the past. But it affected uh, him. Oh, no, whoa, 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 whoa,
0: whoa. Hold on, hold on. Well, I maybe, mean, yeah, I yeah, okay, I'll go because remember that video we talked about one time on one of our shows when Paul came off to court and Draymond tried to come over and do something. And yes, he just, yes. Okay, you know, that's a, that's an example of you know being caught up all in yourself, worried about yourself, not even willing to have your teammate come over to give it. And credit to, to Draymond's credit, he was trying to be supportive, and and you know, so that that was that was a little bit of a telling thing that maybe it all wasn't forgotten like it should have been. The but only reason it, why it, I think also, but it also, and I'm saying, because it also for Jordan Jordan's, on Jordan's behalf, it also was something I know how it is, how pissed off you get, and somebody comes, it doesn't matter. He probably didn't even know, maybe it could have been Steph who would have done that. Exactly, so exactly. One of his mates who did it, it was just one of those things. I don't think it was intentionally aimed at Draymond because it was Draymond. I don't think, whoever I think had gotten up to him at that particular time, he would have responded the same way. But
1: real quick, just to provide context, you're referring to this clip where. Jordan Poole basically just, just – uh, he was coming back to the bench. He wasn't happy with his play. Draymond came to, to offer support, He's and not- Jordan Poole just grabbed his arms and kind of pushed him away. But Jordan Poole did the exact same thing to Klay Thompson, and I think that's why that incident got played down. Um, Jordan Poole was just frustrated and, and didn't want to hear from anyone, but – yeah. It wasn't a good look, regardless. I'll, I'll give yeah, you
0: that. I, I agree. So, so that's a decision. And then same thing with Poole. I mean, even to the point that I mean, obviously Steve Kerr lost confidence in him. I mean, look at his minutes went down. He didn't play well in the playoffs. And um, and then the other one that's right up there and there with Draymond it's like you know like a horse race that has one A and one B, is Clay Thompson. Yep. You know, I, do you, do you want to give Clay Thompson at this stage of his career a long-term big-dollar contract? I I mean, that's a big decision to have to make. You know how much I love Clay. Uh, I mean, for the sake of the team, if there's something out there that can help you and still keep you competitive and maybe help build for the future to keep it going to stay at a high level, uh, maybe you can't do that and you don't want to do that. Um, You know, I told you before when we talked the other day that I had read something about the fact that the that supposedly the Lakers. I mean, who knows? This is all bullshit that everybody throws out there. That they were willing to give up. uh, Reeves and and Akamura uh, o- 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 or whatever the hell his name is, Rory, and, yeah, yeah, akamura and uh, and a first round draft pick down the road uh, for Clay Thompson. Now for the Lakers, I think that would be a hell of a move for the Lakers to go ahead and get Clay to go down there. But then again, do you want to do that and help bolster a team that's one of your big rivals? Right? You know, um, so that's the decision that has to be made and thought about as to what is being offered, if indeed that's even a truth to that. But I do think that as far as keeping Draymond and paying that kind of money for him and paying that kind of money for clay. If other people become available who are out there who are younger and can contribute to what you want and play the kind of basketball that you would like to see them play, which is the warrior style of basketball, which is the way the game should be played. I I commend Steve on that. Um, that's Those are major decisions, major decisions. And what do you do with, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Camingo, who I thought was showing some signs of coming along and if who would go out in the offseason and shoot a 1,000 shots a day from three-point range to get his three-pointers down and make him more effective there because he's a talent. I mean, and he has a nice feel for the game, okay? He does. And, and he can get to the basket, which I like. He tries to attack the basket, uh, sees the floor and can pass the ball to some people. Do you give him give up on him? I mean, it's like he he hardly played in the playoffs, especially in the next series. So, what's the story with him? You know, and then you know, and then what do you do with Moody, who they seem to like? He's got size, he's supposed to, you know, decent defender, can shoot the ball some. Uh, but that's the one thing I didn't understand. Is that and then the guys that were playing during the season all the time, the two-way guys, hardly played at all in the playoffs. So we gave all those minutes to two guys that you never used in the playoffs when those minutes could have gone to your top draft guys that you had to give them even more experience to hopefully make them better come playoff time. Right. So there was a lot of things that went on that were very difficult to understand. And as they say, unless you're there all the time with the players in practice, understanding what's going on, you know, you can't second guess. You could you can second guess Steve as to what he was doing, but it's not fair to him because you don't know everything that's happening and what's transpiring when they're at practice, you know, during the course of the game, in the locker room. I mean, all of those things, all those things
1: uh, play into the decision that's being made by the coach. Yeah, I'm looking up the the contract situations right now. Rory Hachimura is going to make approximately $7 million next year in the final year of his deal. The Austin Reeves part of it, I thought he was going to be a free agent. Um, And I'm looking right now, uh, so – Austin Reeves is going to, oh, well, I mean, it it says here he's, that that deal can't work. It's impossible. Uh, Just because um, he's going to be a restricted free agent, Austin Reeves is. So you'd have to do a sign-and-trade, and the Warriors just don't have the, you have to have cap space to do sign-and-trades, so the Warriors aren't eligible for that. Um Clay Thompson's gonna make forty three million dollars next year. So the salaries wouldn't match with those two. I'm seeing I see there is speculation. Someone proposed that trade, but it's it's legally impossible. I don't see how that's even how you could do that. I really don't. Um well, you know, well,
0: I'll, I'll rely on you, you know, having studied the crazy, crazy rules for all of that stuff. Uh, but, I mean, from from just a player standpoint and everything, it's something that you would have to say, well, wait a second. You know, these are you know two nice players. I mean, you know, Reeves really impressed me. I I, I thought, it, you know, what the hell is it? And then I watched him all the time. The guy's a nice,
1: steady, sound player. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Look, I, I, I'm with you. Like, I, I feel like we're about to find out what kind of owner Joe Lake is. I To me, the greatest sports owner ever was Eddie DeBarlow. I grew up watching him create a dynasty with the 49ers And one of his approaches was treat your your players like their family, but remind them that this is still a business. And so when they're no longer a valuable asset, I'm going to trade you for something better. He cut ties with Joe Montana when Montana still had a few years left, cut ties with Ronnie Lott, uh, Roger Craig. And so we're about to find out right now if Joe Lacob is going to be someone who lets nostalgia and feelings, uh, you know, take priority over, of building the best roster because I'm with you. Clay Tom- I love Klay Thompson. And I'm not saying that flippantly. I mean it. I, lo- I love what he's contributed. I love him as a person. But he's no longer the player he was. And, and, if-, and if you're going to continue having championship aspirations, he can't be a part of that. Or he's going to have to take a massive pay cut. So, and-, and this is the decision Joe Lake really faces in front of him. is Are you going to hold on to these guys who are past their prime um, Draymond Green, I think, is a little bit different. He, I think he has more value. And, and I would, you know, you, you could obviously, your thoughts are more valid than mine on this. But um, we're going we're gonna to find out what kind of owner Joe Lake of is. One interesting thing, by the way, in all likelihood, Mike Dunlavey Jr. is going to be the general manager. Now, Now, what role Kirk Lake of Joe's oldest son will also have remains to be seen. The scenario I, I see likely happening is um, that the two titles that Bob Myers held could be split where maybe like the president of basketball operations title goes to Kirk. He's currently the executive vice president uh, in that role. And then uh, Dunleavy Jr. could take on the GM role. Um, Your son, Brent is someone who I've been advocating for. I think your son uh, took your basketball IQ. I don't know if it was handed down genetically or how much you taught him or both, but I I respect his basketball mind and who he is as a person. I love the fact that the Barry family would be back with the Golden State Warriors. Um, and Brent in 2019 was recruited to be Bob Myers' assistant GM, but he turned the role down. I'm guessing you probably know this better than me because it was a lateral move. He was just going to take the same role with the Warriors that he had with the Spurs. The Spurs, meanwhile, were telling him they're grooming him to replace R.C. Buford – um, I, I really wish Brent would come back and, and take the helm. I think that would be a phenomenal move. But, yeah,
0: I, hope that but paints- I, think, I think you're right about the grooming for RC because they took him off of basketball, VP of basketball operations, and they made him the GM of their uh, G League
1: team. Right, exactly.
0: Out of experience. And plus the fact he's down there, he's been established there, his family is there. The Myers thing was never going to work because he still had his kids still in school and he wasn't about to pick up and not stay there. There, you go. there that's, you go. That's why he took the Spurs job in the first place because he was really doing well with his broadcasting, not just as a color analyst, but in the studio and everything else. Brent's very—he's—he's he's very bright. He's got a Sense of humor. I mean, he's very clever. Agreed. Uh, you know, he, he reminds me so much. He and my son Canyon are so much alike. It's unbelievable because they self-taught himself how to play musical instruments, and they're really intelligent. And but that's the reason why he didn't take it there because of his family situation. There you go. Yeah. So are you saying so, so many things to look up? For, I mean, to see what's going to happen in this offseason with the Warriors. It's going to be a very interesting offseason uh, to see what they do, what their game plan is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but he, and Rick, here's another very this is where uh, being a cap, a cap expert is important for the Warriors. They're, they're in a position right now. And Joe Lincoln has said publicly, and he's, I think he said this repeatedly, that he does not want to spend over 400 million dollars in payroll. That's a lot of money. I, it's hard to blame him. I, I, he can afford to spend more, but look, if that's the line, that's the line. But the Warriors, right now, as currently constructed, and this is assuming they keep the 19th pick. This is assuming they fill out the roster with veteran minimum deals. They're going to be spending approximately 490 million dollars next year when you factor in luxury tax penalties. So, if they're going to meet that 400 million dollar line, they're going to have to lop off 90 million. In salaries, what makes uh, a task like that particularly complicated is you can't just waive players who have guaranteed deals, right? So you have to trade them, but you have to trade them to partners who are well under the cap so that they can send back what's called a trade exception. The Spurs come to mind, for example. The Spurs are under the cap, so you could trade Jordan Poole to them and send that $27 million he's owed next year and get back nothing except what's called a trade exception. uh, and, And that way you're shaving that money off. I don't know what the Warriors are going to do. They're in massive amount of trouble. Maybe Bob Myers saw that and was like, "Why do I want to deal with this? I, I had my run. I, I, life is great. I'm married to a Lakers cheerleader. I have three beautiful children. I have enough money to last me ten lifetimes. Why do I want to continue doing this? I I I, I see. I don't know. That's that, that, that's what the Warriors are dealing with right now. Though it's well, it's, no, I
0: think you just brought up a very valid point. I mean, Bob's an intelligent guy. He sees the handwriting on the wall. He realizes that they had one of the best runs that any franchise has ever had in any sport over a, a, you know, a decade or so or whatever right. period of time. And seeing where they are, the age of the players that he has, you know, how long is it going to take? And, and who's, who is going to be the person whose head's on the chopping block if that thing doesn't happen and work? right? And, and so he will be, I'm sure in very high demand for some teams who are thinking about making a change as far as a new general manager concerned. And in his case, he probably has made enough money that he can live the rest of his life without having to work. And so he can pick and choose as to where he would like to go and maybe move his family. But then again, right. he, his, his kids may be entrenched in wherever he is. They may love it. I mean it's a tough thing, picking your kids up and taking them out of school, just like Brent didn't want to do anything with his kids. There you go. And so there's so many other factors that come into play, but I think your, analysis of the situation i think you're spot on with that that it, it, it for him to stay there under the circumstances that exist right now i think would be foolish from a professional standpoint
1: i mean they had a hell of a run but this is where they're at and I and look if you i feel like if you have the energy to take on this task and it's going to take a lot of energy. Uh, you can still make things right with the Warriors. No, I, no, I no, no, you, you don't know, but you—you don't know. You're—you're not going to be able to have the team there, and everybody's expecting that. He has nowhere
0: to go but down.
1: Exactly. Yes, that's—that's that's fair too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. they're in a tough spot, man. i, I don't know what that. Yeah, I, anyways, do you want to hear another Sorry. question? We got quite sure, a few go more. Ahead. Go ahead. Here's a Lee Stramboles. Hey
0: Rick, do you think that the Warriors will? possibly try to trade Jordan Poole this off season and do you have any thoughts on who the replacement might be for Bob Myers thank yeah, you We well, are just talking about that and and Cyrus told you that the the word out is or the Seems as though Mike Dunleavy Jr. would be the general manager. And then Joe's son Kirk would wind up being, uh, you know, president of the team or president of basketball operations, however they want to title it. And, and hopefully, if that's the case, they'll work well together. Um, that would be a, a good thing and an important thing, because the last thing you, know, you want to have is that two people in the position of making decisions are uh, on opposite ends of the spectrum. That would not be good. And here's the thing I don't understand. And I've said this for decades. Why in the world did they do they not give coaches a big, big, big say on who they take as a player? He's the one that has to coach them. He's the one that knows the game inside out, who was a, sometimes a player himself. But anyway, let him be the guy because he's the one that his head's on the chopping block mostly all the time. The general manager gets off the hook. It's the general manager who gives him chicken crap and says, make chicken out of this. And then the coach gets fired. And so... If he gets the players and you bring, and, you know, the GM's got to understand if I can't let him go get somebody that in his heart, he feels is a dog. I mean, obviously, you're going to step up and say that's ridiculous. But if he's talking about quality type players, the coach may have an idea of the type of player he wants. And if he's going to fit in and be able to execute what the coach wants to have executed on the court in the best way possible, I think you should let him have that player. And then, therefore, if it doesn't work then you get rid of the coach because he's the guy that chose to do this and he's not getting the job done. Whereas when you don't have that authority as a coach and the ability to do that, then I think as a general manager, if you really truly want to be fair about it, you have to look at the personnel that you have. How are these guys relating to the coach? Are they giving an effort every time they step out there on the court? Are they getting better and making progress and it shouldn't be about what the wins and losses are.
1: Yeah, I agree. I know Steve Kerr does have a say with personnel on the Warriors. Uh, but but you're right. In, in most cases, I don't think that's the case. And I, I don't understand. I don't, think he, I don't think he has the thing to make the choice, the final choice. Yeah, you're right. I don't think he has that. I, I, my understanding is like no major decisions are made without his consultation um, like when they talk about the James Wiseman draft pick, for example, back in 2020, uh, what's been publicly reported is that all three of them, Laker, Myers, and Kerr agreed to pick Wiseman. They, they were all on the same page, supposedly. Uh, that's what the reporting says. Yeah, so, but, but, but then, but
0: then I don't think Chris, it was pretty obvious that Bob came out in one of his interviews and didn't seem to be exactly overjoyed about the way the Wiseman was used.
1: Correct. Well, and that, and that's been a criticism of Kerr is that, he, you know, when he feels a certain way, that's how he goes. So maybe he wanted Wiseman, and then realized at some point that's no longer going to be something. That, I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what's going on there, man. It's this is a mess. That's all I could say about the Warriors right now. It's a mess. It's a mess. Well,
0: they still did a pretty darn good job because I don't. I didn't necessarily, even though they're defending champions and stuff. I, I, you know, the thing that I didn't think they'd have a chance to win the title. I told you that way before, and only because of the fact that. For some reason, and I don't know how the hell it happened, they stopped being a good defensive team. Yeah, until, road, until later in the
1: season. on the road, especially. Yeah, until Honestly. later in the season, they started turning things around a little bit. But you're right; they, it, that it's been a staple of this dynasty is their defense, and that did not show up this year. And you and you constantly say, and I echo these sentiments because I think you're 100 right that you know defense is a team concept, and that's been a huge reason why the Warriors until this year have been successful at it. Why they struggled this year? I don't know. I mean, the, the one key piece that changed from a year ago was Mike Brown, who was the defensive coordinator, the number one assistant. He left to Sacramento. Kenny Atkinson took over. Kenny Atkinson inherited the defensive coordinator position. Now, I don't. No one seems to know much about Kenny Atkinson. He doesn't make himself make himself available to the to the media for interviews. Um, you know, I, I, so and and like you said though, Mike Brown took over Sacramento, won Coach of the Year unanimously, but they weren't known for their defense either. So no, because he, but
0: but what he did is he 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 freed up their personnel and made them one of the best offensive teams, correct team, because he feel he realized that that was their strength, and so he had to do that, and he wasn't able to get him be as good a defensive team as you might have liked. That's why I think that next year they will be a much better team. The experience that they had in the playoffs and realizing that uh, they could have done better and should have done better uh, that yeah. will help them for next year, but they're a heck of an offensive team. I, I really like, you know, Fox and, uh, uh, and Monk. I mean, I ran into Monk. I think I told you I ran into Monk at a, at a, at a, at a signing. Well, I
1: saw the picture. Anyone can, by the way, folks should follow Rick Barry on all social media platforms at Rick twenty four berry and it's on your Instagram account that he posted that picture with Malik Mug. That was awesome. I, I saw that. It, it was beautiful.
0: Yeah, and and I like him. I mean, he's his game has improved and uh, from from college, and he's become a you know a better outside shooter. He attacks the basket. I like it, making passes, uh, and you know so very nice. And Fox yeah. obviously was uh, Fox got the Jerry West Award. I mean, clutch player of the year. I mean, you know the way he scored in the fourth quarter and doing things. So if they add some elements to that team as far as who they bring in as Uh, some veteran players and what they do with their draft pick. Uh, If they have any, I I don't know what the status is with that, but they should be a much better basketball team. So it's going to be interesting to see, but I'm most concerned about, you know, what the Warriors are going to wind up doing because, you know, Steph's got a few years to be able to still play because he played at such a high level this year. I just don't know. I I just don't know if they can be as, uh, as good a team next year as they were this past year. I don't know. I'm with you.
1: I'm with, and here's the other thing, Rick, and, I'm, and again, I'm telling you, what I'm telling you is obvious to you, but for the audience in general, is even though Stephen Curry's skill set is still about as lead as it gets, and even though he's, you know, he's still showing us that he could even improve in some regards, he's also going to turn 36 next year, and regardless of how good he is as a player, we are seeing his body starting to break down. I mean, he's missing chunks of games each year. This year, he had the shoulder injury. We saw him with that, that sleeve the rest of the year. Uh, I, I think he had another issue. He had like two injuries this year. It was a shoulder and something else. Maybe it was a knee. Um, but regardless, that's what happens. Your body starts to break down. And regardless of how good Stephen Curry is, even if skill-wise is at the peak of his powers, you also have to account for the fact that he's realistically probably going to start missing 30, 40 games a year. And you got to live without that. So I, I agree. I, I think this is – this is uh, expectations need to be low next year for the Warriors. I, I You know – I don't know what's going to happen. I'm curious. It's going to be interesting, right? I mean, we keep- well, they
0: they may they may very well make the decision that they are going to start the rebuilding process for the future. They may very well make that decision and get rid of a lot of the big contracts and start picking up some other people and have a chance to get some young talent that's out there and give up players that other teams would have an interest in and unload a lot of the salary and bring in some other people to to do it. Look what Miami did. They got 600 drafted players.
1: Yes, they do. Yes, they do. It's impressive. Well, I'm telling
0: you, and I'll say it again, because I get them mad every time I say it. The scouts that are out there. There are scouts out there that wouldn't know talent if I walked up and bit them in the ass. Oh, uh, I'm great. serious. Because I'm, there's a lot of, trust me, there's a lot of talent out there. I you. I trust you. We just had our draft of the Big Three, an opportunity to coach again. So thanks to Ice Cube for that. And, and uh, I'm very happy that I was able to get uh, two players that uh, – we got two players that, that I like a lot. And the one, one player who uh, – I'm not even going to start talking about him stuff because I'm going to wait to see him in person. But what I've seen okay. him in video – whoa. Man, the, name, for, hyped this the first time I'm excited about being able to watch what this young man
1: does. What's the name? Because I hyped this up, Rick. Been, Jalen, Jalen Johnson, okay? Jalen Johnson. Jalen, Look him up, people. And, Look him up. Yeah. I mean, just because of
0: his size, I'm just talking about my other player, Summers is really nice. He was the best drafted player in the league last year in the Big Three. But this guy played in the in the G League. Played with my son Canyon in the Iowa Wolves, but he also played with some other G League teams but he shoots 40% from threes and and uh, Cyrus, did I send you the, the video of him yeah he what did passes you, like what jokic did you think of his passing incredible he looks like jokic offensively right? Yeah, I yep, mean, absolutely. he's making he's making Joker-like freaking passes. But even more so, putting it on the floor, going to the basket and throwing off, off the dribble and stuff. And then the one pass that he made, he got the ball, he went down, he's in the far corner on the right side. He made a pass all the way under the basket to the far corner for a guy for a wide-open three. This is a 6'10 guy doing
1: this. Yes. And uh, so he he played in Louisville. Um, he went undrafted and he's been in the G League since 2017. I don't know if he played with Canyon. He played for the Iowa Wolves.
0: Yeah, he, and he was, he was on the team of Canyon Ward one season.
1: Okay. There we go. So in 2019, 20, I'm guessing. And, um, here's another interesting, interesting, interesting thing about Jalen Johnson is, uh, and, and I'm sure you'll, you can, uh, you know, uh, sympathize with this, especially as his mom played professional basketball at the university of Wisconsin And was the first woman to lead the country in blocked shots. Uh, Wait, oh wait, first. Oh, she and she's the first woman to lead the nation in blocked shots altogether. Like she averaged more blocked shots than any male player at the same time. So she was the first player to ever do that. So there you go. Yeah. Oh, he's.
0: uh, I'm. I'm really looking forward to seeing him. Seems like a really you know nice young man, and. I'm, for the first time doing it with the personnel that we have there, I'm, I'm excited, and I'm going to put some stuff in that I' love. Because, I mean, my whole thing is, is I, if you have a guy like that that can do this, like the Joker, and you can pull the other team's big guy away from the basket. Man, does that open up opportunities for you? Other stuff, and especially if your guys are smart and they can learn how to set a guy up and back cut and all, and you got a guy that can pass to them, you're going to get so many easy baskets. And it's going to be so much easier if they beat their guy because the other big guy is in there. If the big guy leaves and goes to help, just throw it back out to the, to the big man and let him get a wide open three. And if he's shooting them with, you know, 40% or something in high 30s from
1: three point range, I'll take that all day long. Yep. I'm with you. Yeah. Jalen Johnson. Look, I'm going to uh, Kevin Dana, the voice of the Santa Cruz Warriors. He studies uh, G League players, uh, le- you know, like a nuclear physicist would study, you know, the splitting of the atoms. He's he's he, he loves this stuff. I'm going to I'm going to talk to him about Jalen Johnson. Here are his thoughts. But yeah, you, you you should you send me that clip of Jalen Johnson. There were there were a series of clips. It was an Instagram post and it blew me away. I I'm I shocked he's not playing right now. I don't understand why he's not in the NBA, but if the Warriors are going to roll the dice on someone, why not him? I'm well,
0: I mean, the thing is, is I, as you said, I have to see in him. You know, obviously, clips are something. You're always taking the best of everybody. You don't know all the other things that he's doing. But right. just the fact that he can do what he was doing in those clips, most big guys can't do that. He handled the ball well, too.
1: Yeah. It he, wasn't just the
0: passing. He, he's 26 years old. And, and he goes to the basket and dunks and goes over. I mean, so anyway, it's going to be exciting. So, yeah. Uh, well, let's, we'll talk again uh, next week, maybe sometime and see what's happening. Are we done, Rick? Are we calling it a wrap? Well, I think we are. My wife's walked okay. in. She wants me to go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, sir. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you. There she is. See, she's trying to get me off. You know, Hi, so. Lynn. He's talking too long. <laughs> oh,
1: okay. all right. Bye.
0: All right. So everybody uh, stay well uh, and it's going to be fun to see all of the things that are going to take place. It's always fun to talk sports, but um, I'm going to look forward to seeing how the Miami Heat play in game number two tomorrow. That's going to be the interesting factor and how Denver reacts to that and what they're able to do and whether they have the letdown like they had in the last game in that fourth quarter. So fun stuff to always talk about the game of basketball. I love the game and, uh, and I'm going to root everything. My, my the son's USA team with, uh, with his teammates, Jimmer Fredette is on that team. And, uh, and Dylan Travis and Kareem Maddox and my son, they won in the quarterfinals in the world cup and three X three for the USA. So they're playing Brazil tomorrow in the same So, I'm hoping that they can find a way to win two more games and <clears throat> bring home another
1: gold medal for the USA. Is Canaan single? Yeah. Yeah, because there's, there's a couple players on that women's team uh, that I strongly recommend he pursues. Uh, just, just that I'll leave it at that. Uh, well, that. Rick, always a pleasure. On the USA national 3x3 team? On the
0: women's team, yes. No, the three x three team, not the not the U.S. national basketball team. The three, correct. the three
1: three, correct. Yes, yeah. there are actually Whatever. two players. at South Canyon actually has
0: a very nice uh, young lady that uh, that he's you know that he's seeing right now, and uh, who knows where that's going to go. And but uh, she's very nice. She's she's a good athlete herself, and uh, she's a meteorologist. Meteorologist. Oh, there you go. All right, I, I learn more about weather stuff now than I ever. knew. <laughs>
1: And, again, everyone can follow Rick Barry on all social media platforms at Rick24Barry. You can follow me on Twitter at Dogs show Rick, it is always a pleasure, sir. Thank you. All righty. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.